Have you experimented with making a webinar demo? That's interesting is to bring people in with the concept, but quickly turn that into a yeah. demo. Yeah, I'll try that. If you were able to, to wave a magic wand and do that, wouldn't this be worth a hundred times more? Wouldn't it just make selling your product or your service much easier? What's the outcome expectation they're going to get? Sometimes semantics is all important, how you reframe something. So there's one concept. I, I got about a dozen ideas from our conversation. So I really appreciate your time. Welcome to the Optimize Podcast, the only show that solves business challenges in real time. Join Nick Sonnenberg, a world-leading operational efficiency expert and marketing legend, Jay Abraham. Sit in on a new kind of conversation designed to help us answer the most difficult question of all. What am I not seeing? In this episode, we're going to find out how a new client engagement platform can revamp its pricing and marketing to attract higher yield customers. Dave Will is the co-founder of PropFuel, a first-of-its-kind conversational engagement platform that aims to increase client engagement inside large organizations. While PropFuel has achieved early success in scaling up, Dave is facing challenges in identifying competitors, targeting clients, and developing a plan to turn PropFuel's early growth into rocket fuel. And before we get into the show, if you'd like to get in the hot seat, just head to theoptimizedpodcast.com and apply today. Let's get into the episode with Nick, Jay, and our guest, Dave Will. All right, Jay. Today's guest is a very old friend of mine. I've known Dave for about 10 years now. Really smart, interesting guy. He's been working on a SaaS product for a number of years. We recently reconnected through a mutual friend. I was I was on his podcast, and I think that we're going to find this one very entertaining. So, Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. I, I love the introduction. I don't think anybody's ever introduced me as smart. Hey, Jay, how are you? Dave, I am almost <laughs> impeccable. Not quite. I haven't done a self-diagnostic test yet, but but uh, it's <laughs> here. You go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, self I've never had anybody mention a self-diagnostic when I said "How are you?" before. That's a great. I love that line, though. You can use it without even attribution. Okay. <laughs> good. I will. Hey, good. Jay's doing great. He does those NAD shots, and he's uh, like 15 years younger because of it. That's right. I'm really 107. <laughs> so, Dave, would you mind maybe just kicking it off, explaining what Prop Fuel is, the business model, and some of the key challenges that we could start brainstorming and see what we can come up with? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So, Prop Fuel is a SaaS marketing automation system. I, I struggle a little bit to say marketing automation system because it's really a subcategory of marketing automation, but it's a it's a SaaS marketing automation system that's designed specifically to increase engagement for member-based organizations. Now, that, that's kind of a high-level description, so that, let me drill down into that a little bit. By increasing engagement for member-based organizations, I'm talking about associations, nonprofits, but primarily associations like Air and Space Force Association, American Society of Microbiology, Missouri State Teachers Association, American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy, right? So these are professional and trade associations. They're all generally speaking member-based organizations. 
And one of their main pain points that they're always looking to solve is engagement. How do we get our members more engaged? And a more engaged members means that their organization, their association grows and retains their members. So it's about growth and retention for the association. So PropFuel, we've been around for, gosh, like six years. This is my second SaaS company. We met when I was doing the first one, which is a learning management system. Now, this one is a marketing automation system. The first three years, we were chasing down a different path. We, we went down the wrong rabbit hole for the first three years, and, and we made a fairly significant pivot. The second verse really comes about three years ago. So I, I consider our existing company about three years old. Who are your competitors right now? Who else is in your space? Or what are the alternatives to your solution? Just so that we could maybe further clarify exactly what it's doing. So we always like to bucket things, right? Like put them in a category. What do you do for a living? I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a teacher. You know, it's really easy to put things into buckets. I struggle a little bit, which I know is the wrong answer to that question. If you were to take a survey tool and marry it to an email marketing system, you'd come up with Propule. Oftentimes when, when people say, oh, is it like, they'll say either Qualtrics because that's a survey tool, or they might say, well, why can't I just do this in HubSpot? So I would argue that the two categories of competitors that we see out there are either survey systems or those sophisticated marketing automation systems when actually Propule lies somewhere in the middle. Before your clients hire you, what are they doing to solve that problem? And if they fire you, what is the most common other company that they go to? Good question. So before they use Propul, they're basically sending out broadcast messages to their members. Via like email market, like MailChimp yeah. or something? All right. Yeah, MailChimp, HubSpot, even more sophisticated systems like Parda. But they're, they're talking at their members. They're sending stuff to their members. Once we show them the subcategory, and that's why it's, it's, it's a pretty new, I mean, very, very new approach called conversational engagement. It's this, this approach of asking questions and based on how somebody answers the question, it, it triggers a number of actions, right? So that's, that's the idea behind PropFuel is it, it sparks a conversation in an automated way through email and SMS. So beforehand, they're broadcasting. After they're using Propfuel, yes, they continue to broadcast using their existing systems, but now they have another system specifically for sparking a deeper conversation with people. And then if they were to leave us, they probably would go back to their broadcast system because it's what they know. You know, that's generally why people leave us because it's what they know. Our churn is very, very low. So we haven't had a lot of experience with people leaving Propfuel in the past three years. So after I do the integration of the survey, what, what am I going to be able to do different in my engagement? How am I going to engage differently? Yeah. So just to be clear, you're not actually integrating a survey. You're, you're, what you're doing is you're, you already have some system that sends out broadcast emails. Everybody does that. Sure. When you buy Propule, you're buying another way of communicating with people. And to answer your question now, what's happening that's different well, now, instead of telling people things, you're asking questions. And so let, let, me, let me give you an example that might help clarify things. Generally speaking, when somebody joins an association, 
Like I belong to Entrepreneurs Organization, which okay. I suspect maybe some of your listeners might belong to EO. When somebody joins EO, generally what they'll do is they'll send out an email saying, welcome to EO, check out the 35 cool things we do, all the benefits, the newsletters, the broadcast, check out all these conferences you can attend, check out the local chapter event. There's events everywhere, there's stuff everywhere, there's tons. In fact, I actually counted the number of links in one of their welcome emails is like 50 links, 50 things that I could click on. Interesting, not how you typically communicate with somebody when you see them. So what would be different is PropFuel would say, oh, welcome to EO, why did you join? So what we're doing is we're mimicking the way humans actually interact. If you were to walk into my office and you had just joined my association, I'd probably be like, hey, Jay, welcome to the association. Tell me something. Why did you join the association? Why did you join here? And you'd say, well, I joined to meet other people like me. And my response then would be, well, Jay, let me show you all the places where you can meet people just like you. Let me show you all the cool things you can do that are related to meeting people just like you. So now where you have a interaction that's really, really relevant to your needs and your interests. It's a good answer, but let me ask this. So when I uncover, let's call it the reasons why relative to whatever progression you're going to have with members, does it automatically program into it these communication responses? Great question. And now with the emergence of chat GPT that's in our roadmap, we're going to implement a lot of AI over the next couple of years. I don't want to get too aggressive and say over the next couple of months, but over the next couple of years, we're going to be incorporating AI so that there's much less human touch in creating these campaigns. Currently, you have to build the campaigns. And, and we have a team that helps them build the campaigns. It's not just software, but there's a service associated with it too. So from point A to perpetual, is at different intervals, am I interacting progressively with the member to uncover different progressive, evolving needs, interests, you know, problems, whatever it is. And then that's tripping some kind of an aggregation that aligns with like you got a collection of all the people that are trying to, their nonprofits all trying to raise more money or need a new strategy or need to hire someone, whatever it is that then lets the organization that your client respond back sort of seemingly personalized, but into that cluster of people with that felt need? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and there, there was a lot in there. But yes, there, it's a spectrum of what we call check-ins. So an email that goes out with a question in it is generally a check-in. And there's a, a, a series of check-ins as a campaign. And a series of campaign becomes your strategy for communicating. So there's a spectrum all the way from one-off check-ins that might be finding out if, uh, what they're interested in at a particular conference, all the way to that aggregate data that you're talking about that gets written back into their, their CRM. Associations don't call it a CRM, but into their member database that is now aggregating all this information that you've asked the members. So by the way, this is zero-party data. You're not buying data, it's in third-party data. It's not observed data. This is not assumptive data. This is actually data of answers to questions that you've actually asked those members. So yeah, it's aggregate data that you're collecting over the years. And it's also one-off data where right off the bat, based on how you answer question number one, 
we can provide you with some really relevant interaction. And so concurrently, it would seem like as I collect, aggregate, organize, prioritize, it's giving me talking points to constantly address in in terms of my communication to everyone. Is that correct? Yeah. So although you're talking at two individuals, which is, by the way, completely different than the way surveys work. Surveys, you collect aggregate data, right? right? But when you're asking questions through PropFuel, you're collecting information like it's a conversation with one person. So yes, you're asking an individual questions, acting on it with the individual, but then you're also collecting that at the aggregate level across your entire membership too, for, for again, member-based organizations. So as I'm asking these questions, and as the member is hopefully accurately responding either on their own or their categories they check or indicate or whatever, is there a constant progression of deeper follow, follow-up conversation or is it just, okay, thank you? Or what happens? Is the, the process infinite? Is it, I mean, what's the normal? Well, Jay, when, when you bump into a friend at the grocery store, how does that work? Is the conversation infinite or is the conversation, does, does it end with a thank you, right? So like, it, 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 and as a rhetorical question, yeah, it mimics a conversation. It can, it can be very short. Or it can go on and on and on longer than you probably want it to, right? Like some conversations. And is that determined by the organization's programming of it? They'll configure that. Okay. You either go down this rabbit hole and ask a series of questions and continue the dialogue, or it might end abruptly. You know what? You remember these books, the Choose Your Own Adventure books? I'm, I'm, I know people can't see this, but I'm holding sure. one up so sure. you can. This one happens to be the magic of the unicorn, ironically, with the unicorn being the billion dollar company, right? So in this choose your own adventure book, based on the end of the chapter, it says, well, what do you want to do now? You, you've run into this, I don't know, you ran into it. It looks like on the cover of this, you ran into a tree riding a unicorn with somebody chasing you. And what do you want to do? You want to go left or you want to go right? Well, based on how you answer that question, it's going to tell you to go to another part of the book and continue the story. It's a very similar philosophy as to what we're doing with our questions over email. Okay, I've got it. And now from a quantification result, what can you promise that can be measured in terms of retention, if there's a minimal or if there's a at least some kind of empirically valid, historic, whatever it would be, what is your minimal promise or, or result or, or, or what, I mean, what is, what's, what's the outcome expectation they're going to get that is more than abstract, if any? At the most basic level, the very simplest, most granular level, you're going to get greater engagement. Of course, then the question becomes, well, what is engagement? And the most simple definition of that in the case of emails is clicks. We're going to increase the number of people that are engaging or clicking on something in the email, number one. But what does that yield at the end, right? That's the, that's, the, that's the leading indicator maybe, but what's the lagging indicator? The lagging indicator is increased retention and organizational growth. So we're increasing the number of members that are going to renew their membership at the end of the year. Now, there's a lot in between that. The in-between part is helping them recognize the value that the association is bringing to that individual. So it starts with a click. It ends with renewed memberships, and the middle part is helping the member find value in between. 
So does it take for a typical new organization, does it take one cycle of renewal for them to be able to see that impact? No, they can see that almost immediately. So they can see that so every single campaign generally has a goal. So for example, when it comes time for renewals, just getting people to renew their membership at a greater rate than the last time, based on how we're notifying them of their renewal process. Well, there's one example is renewals. The renewal process, simply getting people to renew, we can get more people to renew just by using this methodology, number one. How do you see that data though? You don't, you don't control that data. So are you, are you just relying on them to tell you the renewal data? We have access to that data. Yeah. So our platform ties into their CRM, which in the association world is called an AMS, Association Management System. And, and do they all use the same AMS or there's no, different there's, there's dozens of them, but we're integrated with all of them. So you integrate with the AMS and from there you're able to calculate for yourself, hey, your retention before prop fuel was X and now it's Y? Well, that, that gets tougher because to Jay's point, that requires looking at two cycles, the first cycle and the second cycle, right? What I'm talking about being able to measure is based on this email, this is how many renewals we captured, right? Which is slightly different than the first conversation we're having about creating value and driving members to renew. That's just, I, I think I confuse things a little. We can also send out renewal notifications and this methodology has a stronger effect on getting people to renew immediately. At the end of the day, from the association standpoint, they're paying you not for clicks, they're paying you for increase in retention, right? Increase in engagement is what they'll say. But they care about that only because an increase in engagement is a leading indicator to renewal. They only care about retention, Correct. right? So are you able to clearly show that because of your tool and because that helps with clicks, which helps with engagement and which helps with, you know, are you able to show that three hops later, they paid you money, they paid you X and they generated Y as a byproduct of all these other things that you're talking about that ultimately helped increase retention, which helps increase lifetime value, which are you able to show that? That's tough because... The reality is there's a lot of variables that come into play. We are one of them. And that, that's why that's really tough. Like, let's look at COVID, the year COVID hit. And, and, and I'm sure it was difficult to get renewals. Was that because PropFuel did not perform? No, it's because we had a pandemic, right? Let's look at, uh, let's just say they had an amazing conference this year and they invited Jay Abraham to speak at the conference, everybody's going to want to go, right? So was that PropFuel? No, it's because they got Jay Abraham to speak at the conference. So, you know, there's other variables that contribute to retention. We are one of them. And that's why it's really, I, I think it's hard to, to say with absolute clarity that this is what PropFuel did for you at that level, at the retention level. And that's why you have to look at a lot of different variables. Like when you're sending out emails, how many people do you get to engage with the email? Like that's the level of granularity that they're going to look at to determine whether or not PropFuel is more effective than their previous approach. Now, why are they doing that? For retention, but it's harder to say this is PropFuel's impact on our retention. Still, even if you can't say that it's purely your because of you and it's not because of the 12 other factors, if you can go to them and be like, look, we don't know to what degree prop fuel is playing a part in your 3% or 
increase in retention, but we just know that we've increased engagement by X, retention increased by Y, right? And so something's working here and that increase of retention is worth a million dollars a year to you, whatever. And it's still just, if it were me, even if, if you can't say with certainty the impact that open rates or click rates or engagement rates plays to the overall number, if you're able to calculate the number and still show that the number is going in the right direction, you play some role in it, I think it doesn't hurt you in the sales conversation to, to show that to them. We do have an ROI calculator that says if, uh, you know, naturally the goal is to increase your, and I haven't looked at it in quite some time. And, and to be honest, I'm not sure how much we use it in our sales process. It was more of an experiment but it basically says if, if based on your membership price and based on the, your lifetime value of your members, if we believe on average we're increasing our, our retention rate by 4% or 8% or whatever, based on that number, if we, if you use PropFuel and increase your membership by 4%, we will earn you X amount of dollars this year. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but if you could clearly show the correlation between your tool and retention, even though there, there's not a one-to-one, if you were able to, to wave a magic wand and do that, wouldn't this be worth a hundred times more of a, like, wouldn't it just make selling your, your product or your service much easier? I don't think so. Let me explain why. I don't think our struggle is to prove to people that this is cool. To me, that would be having to prove to people like what you see here is cool. Or there's some return on investment, right? Like that would assume that the hurdle we have in sales is, is it worth it? The hurdle we have in sales, I believe, is actually getting past the other objections. And the other objections are, we just have so much on our plate right now. I can't imagine taking on another thing. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, that's really cool. We just have so much on our plate right now. I couldn't bear taking another thing on. I don't know if I totally buy that, Dave. I mean, if if you came to me and said, I have a tool and it's going to increase your retention by 1%, and I know that a 1% increase in retention will increase my lifetime value by 10 grand a customer or something, and you know I've got X number of customers, and you start putting hard numbers around it because it's, it's, it's a little bit soft to say, look, we're going to increase your engagement. It's much har- it's a much harder conversation. I mean, harder meaning like concrete. You know, if you start saying, look, we're going to increase retention, which is going to increase lifetime value, which is going to increase profit. Logically, I'm with you. And what you could do to start doing it, just thinking it out loud. So I created this concept called retention surfaces a while ago. And so I'm guessing you look at retention curves where you look at people that signed up today, you know, what percent stay a year from now, two years and now from now, three years and now, and that forms a two-dimensional curve. So that's what people call retention curve. If you add a third dimension, you do that over time, then you you build a surface out of that, that if you can visualize that. So it's like, what's my one-year retention now versus one-year retention that it was three years ago when we didn't have prop fuel? What's my two-year retention now versus three years ago when I didn't have prop fuel? And then you could also do experiments where you don't even need to roll the tool out to the entire database. If this is something that you want to eventually try to figure out and try to be able to prove the value of your engagement, you could do random samples within the membership. So then you get away from the whole COVID 
example, right? Because there's different things that affect different, right? So then you could say, look, we're going to do a random sample of 50% of your database with prop fuel and without prop fuel, right? And then you're comparing A versus B within a closed ecosystem that's all getting affected by the same external factors. And then you have concrete data to show the exact impact you had regardless of COVID and all these other things. It's very unusual that we have somebody turn us down because they don't believe there's going to be a positive impact. Maybe you're not charging enough. Okay, so let me interrupt for a minute. So Dave, why don't you tell us how you currently sell and the price point and you know where are you getting your leads, not just where as far as origin, what's the stimulus, what's the sales process, what's the conversion, what's the price? Because it sounds like once you get somebody so far, you're three years into it, you've got relatively fabulous retention. So retention's not a problem. That's good. We don't have a, you, you, you help people improve retention. It's not your problem. It's subordinate. What are the dynamics that you're dealing with right now specifically? Yeah. We have about 200 clients. The average annual contract is a little over $9,000 per contract. We're growing at a give or take a hundred percent year over year for the past three years. The trick is to continue. How do you price those contracts? So nine grand a contract, how many members does an average uh, association have? Average say like 15 to 20,000, you know, Air Force has over a hundred thousand, but then there's some that might have two or 3000. But is it all the same price? No, the price ranges anywhere from, you know, four or $5,000 annually. Uh, which to be honest, we try to stay away from that because it's, it's just as much work as an organization that's paying 50 grand annually. And how do you price it? Generally it's priced based on member, how many members they have. It, it runs into a scenario where you have the smaller organizations that may not be able to squeeze that into their budget. So we offer some discounts for those organizations, but generally speaking, it's based on number of members. So like an air force association that has a hundred thousand members is going to pay more than, uh, than the Missouri state teachers association that might have a few thousand. But how are you getting these people? We're, we're very, very focused. I believe the, the riches are in the niches. You know, that's always been my approach to building a business. So there's about 64,000 associations in the U.S. alone. We have access to databases that tell us everything about the associations. It's public information because they're nonprofits. And so we've targeted the top 20,000 associations that we believe fall into our niche. To be even more specific, our ICP, Ideal Client Profile, is somewhere between 3 to $10 million in revenue. So you can see these associations, a lot of them are just like small businesses, you know, three, three to $10 million is their annual revenue. They might have 15 to 30 uh, staff members. That's who we're targeting. Specifically, the people we're going after, the ideal person is a director of membership. Engagement might be in the title, director of engagement. Maybe there's a, uh, a less common, but, but sometimes we're talking to marketing or, or Marcom of one sort or another. The sales process begins by tickling them in one way or another, you know, dangling a, some sort of teaser in front of them, bringing them into a webinar. Through what mechanism? How are we recruiting them for the webinar? Yes. Typically email. Okay. And webinars are not our number one driver of demos, by the way. 
our number one de- driver of demos are the conferences, the in-person conferences that we go to. Those are the ones that drive the greatest conversion of from the number of people we talk to to the number of people that sign up for a demo. So in other words, if you get them on a webinar and the numbers are much lower, is the cost of that sale a lot less, is a lot faster or not? Uh, the speed, not it doesn't make a difference. You know, the average close is 45, 55 days. We've had some that are much longer and some that are much shorter. Uh, but that the speed to close doesn't matter whether we get them through a webinar or through a conference. The price, that's a great question. I can, I haven't, I, I can only assume that the price of getting somebody through a conference would be greater than through a webinar. But let me ask you this question. How many conferences, I know conferences have probably uh, opened up again. How many can you possibly show at every month, day, week? Impactful conferences in our industry, there might be six or seven over the course of the year. And then there maybe even fewer, not a lot. Okay. And I'm a fast uh, interpreter, so I may step on you before you even answer. So webinars, by the way, uh, we we are horrible at converting attendees of webinars into demos. Like it's, it's pathetic. And I have no idea how to fix that. And the webinar is actually a demo in itself, correct? No, no. Our webinars are, are tend to be educational knowledge sharing, sort of learn about. But have you, have you experimented with making a webinar a demo? We have, and it, it, Generally, we have a hard time getting people. So a, a typical webinar would be 100 or 200 people that where we're talking about the concept. Uh, if we brag about a demo, we get maybe five, 10, <laughs> 10 or 20. But, okay, well, what if you didn't brag about a demo, but you, you said, we will show you in real time and we'll prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can help enhance dramatically all your key initiatives. That's the same way of saying it. it's just semantics. Yeah, so that's that's interesting is to bring people in with the concept, but quickly turn that into a demo. Yeah, that's I'll, I'll try that. Joe Sugarman was a great, great marketer for many, many decades. And I'm old enough to remember when CB radios were really popular before cell phones. Sadly, I am too, Jay. Okay, no problem. So anyhow, so when Joe Sugarman got into that, he found out that he could buy these really cheap walkie-talkies from uh, Japan for almost nothing. And he wrote ads calling them pocket CBs, and he sold millions of them. But if he would have said, I've got a really great cheap set of walkie-talkies, he would have sent none of them. Sometimes semantics is all important how you reframe something so there's one concept so you do emails what kind of selling i mean what's your infrastructure who sells we we have an inbound team and we have an outbound team okay and the outbound team is made up of two account execs i i kind of hesitated there because one of them is our cro right he's he's running the organization but he also does some demos okay two account execs we have uh, three SDRs doing outbound effort. We have one SDR doing managing inbound. And then we have a marketing person building content. That's our sales. That's our revenue team. Okay. And so on a typical day, week, month, how many, I don't want you to call it, leads, prospects, demos are coming in and whatever the, the number of comments. I mean, I don't know what how you calculate or you define things, but give me some of the, the daily, weekly, monthly data. 
Yeah, we're looking at, I'm going to go out a little bit further. Our, our target is to hit about 90 demos, 90 to 100 demos a quarter to perform 90 to demo, 90 to 100 demos per quarter. I'd like to see that number go up. For every demo, our conversion rate, depending on the period of time that you're looking at conversion, uh, generally speaking though, like within a, a 90 day conversion period, we're looking at about a 20% conversion rate. So for every hundred demos we do, we'll get about 20 new clients. Cold outreach, we're doing thousands of cold outreach emails. But these are just emails. Correct. And phone calls. Yeah. And phone calls. So you're outbound or calling every day? They're emailing and calling. I don't know if they're calling every day, but they're emailing hundreds every day and fairly personalized, not highly personalized, slightly personalized messages. And I'm not sure what their schedule is in terms of how often they call, but it's fewer, it's less than every day. And when, when you don't close a deal and are you capturing reason and the reason is they just don't have the time? I, I don't think I can answer whether or not we're capturing it in a percent. I don't know that we have hard data around it. The data I have is a little more anecdotal, at least the data I have. If I were to ask my CRO, he might give you a different answer. But yeah, generally speaking, it's this is not a good time for this. So why are they booking a demo if they know that they don't have the time to do it? Curiosity. They can't not want the result. What do they perceive that they can't do right now? Because finding nine grand can't be that hard. Oftentimes they, they may be implementing like a new AMS. Like that's not uncommon for them to hear, you know, we're, we're just rolling out this new AMS or the, again, that's their CRM. We're just implementing this new AMS. Uh, when that project's over, then we'll have a little more bandwidth to focus on this. So it's like, it's, it's the time in the day to allocate to learning a new system, to dealing with whatever technical resources. It's not a lot of technical resources, but there is a, a significant amount of headspace that's required to pick up a new system, to configure the new system, to get the emails or the campaigns built. How much real time does it take on their part? To implement this thing? Yeah, tomorrow morning they bought it. Yeah, we typically block off about three months with a couple hours a week. And is it totally their their side? Or you? Not totally. No, we're we're coaching them. We're going hand in hand with them. We offer managed services where we'll actually do you know seventy percent of the work for them. And what do you charge for that? Oh, it's chump change. It's nothing. In fact, I would argue it's it's we're breaking even on that. It's about 50% of the contract price. So if it's a $9,000 contract, it's probably $4,500 for the managed services. They don't need that after the first year, right? That's just a one-time setup? Yeah, well, no, the setup, we charge for that too. That's another fee. There's some organizations that use our managed services year over year. Some of them just use it to get things off the ground, just to get us to do the heavy lifting in the beginning. Here's a better question. Of 100% of the people that buy, how many use it at least for year one? Of all our clients, 20% of them are using managed services. At least for year one. Uh, yeah, at all. They use it at all. 20% use it at all. And the percentage of those that continue on with managed services, I'm kind of guessing here, maybe 75% continue on into year two. So there's two questions that I'm going to get a little asked backwards. If the game you're playing is not today, but it's forever, I mean, it, it looks like, what did you say, 70% so far or 80%? renew and theoretically it's ad infinitum unless something goes wrong, right? 
Oh, no, we have 95% renewal rates. Uh, oh, managed services. Yes, managed services. Uh, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about just the, the, the main the main system. Oh, yeah, it's like 95% are renewing. But maybe, you, you know, just as an experiment, maybe, you you know, even if you lose more than, than what you're losing, maybe if you have a, you know, maybe not a, I don't know if your managed services is a whole year, but maybe you buy them with a value denominated that service for three months. I mean, other than cash flow, which is obviously critical, but obviously if you're playing a game forever, if you could get three times as many people avail themselves, you know, to start and you got a 90% or whatever it is retention rate, Jesus, you know, if, 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 if mentally the first constraint is I don't have the time to do this, my staff can't really get into this right now. I mean, and when you say a lot of them are doing an a, a whatever you call the the CRM, it would seem like a lot is a relative term. So is it twenty percent, thirty percent? The majority can't possibly be. And if that's the case, you ought to have a partnership with every one of those organizations to sell yours on top. If everyone's if everybody all the time is putting a new system in, you should have a deal with everybody. And you should give them most of the first year because, you know, <laughs> it's I mean, there's probably some new ways, Dave, of looking at this. And again, I, I always said, even if you don't have the capital, if you can get five times more people to start and you know that 90 percent or 80 percent are going to stay, then it's a matter of who, you know, in year two, you're even anyhow. But I mean, you might want to just test. And if a year is too much to give them, you could say, look, and, and you could preempt in your sales approach. You could literally say the biggest problem people tell us is they they've got a lot of things going. And then we say, but does that mean you don't want this year to have potentially 20% more uh, retention and whatever? And they'd say, well, of course not. And you could say, okay, so we've mitigated that. We basically do 90% for you in the first three months. So by the time you're done with any other initiative, it's already 90% of the way there. And we don't charge you for it. If you want to continue you can pay the nominal cost, but we buy that for you. It's really $2,000, but we throw it in. I mean, there's another way of experimenting with it. And you could even just start with the higher contract values to say, look, the setup fees, 10 grand or whatever you charge, we're going we're gonna to comp you on it because you know that the total annual contract value with a 95% stick rate is going to you know, yield more. But I, I'm still... I'm 45 minutes earlier. I'm still not clear on your pricing model. How do you know, Dave, with certainty that your pricing model is correct? When you said it before, you're adding, I heard that you're adding a ton of value, right? Your engagement goes up, which means without absolute certainty, we can't calculate, but retention should go up, which, which means. So can we just pick one example and just walk end to end through the economics of it? Yes. Yes. But before we do, can I just comment on a couple of those things? Cause you guys just uh, fired off a whole bunch of really cool things. Number one, we implement for free. We do use our implementation and setup fees as negotiation already that it, and it works. That's very, very good. And I wouldn't, but by the way, David, I would never ever do anything for free. Again, I'm a fanatic about semantics. I would buy it for them instead. <laughs> okay. All right. No, I get that. Yeah, I like that. And maybe you could increase your prices, which we want to. I want to yep. talk about. But maybe instead of nine grand a year and your setup fee of five grand or something, maybe now your setup fee is ten grand and your annual fee is fifteen grand. But you're buying them 
the 10 grand. So you're giving them more bonus, more gift up front, but then you're getting more annual contract value. On yeah, the, on that, the back that's end. fair. And I certainly don't know for sure that our pricing model is correct, Nick. Uh, there, there's, I do not know that. I certainly wouldn't make that claim. Yeah, Jay, I loved your suggestion of working with the AMSs. Though that's again the CRM, working with the you know twenty five or so, maybe even the top ten AMSs, and saying, "Look, we'll give you X amount of dollars for every prop fuel instance you sell with your platform." Yeah, and you can be very generous in year one. Why do you care? Yeah, I love it. We don't really know yet what the lifetime value is. What we do know is that people tend to renew at a 95%. If you're wrong, then you want to go in another business anyhow. So it's mood other than cash flow. But if tomorrow morning, if 10 of those, whatever they're called, AMS, could give you each each month 10 new deals, and 10 new deals are 10 times 10, 100 times nine, $900,000, and you had to give half, three quarters, all of it away. I mean, I always say, and this is a statement I used to use when I used to do seminars. If I knew, if you knew, let me use this way, and you already know this, but I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with this. If you knew that you were going to, if I could, if I said I could bring you a thousand new $9,000, 90% renewable, probably five-year retention clients, but I want a hundred percent or 90% of the first year and you had the cash flow to service it and you turned me down, you would almost be stupid. <laughs> well, I'm not the one I said was smart. And, and I like that idea, Jay. I'm not averse to doing that. No, to so be honest. That's one thing. But I have another wild idea that is sort of interesting and your database will give it to you. But I have to ask a clarifying question before I say it. When you go to a trade show, how many demos will you do at a trade show on average? Zero. How many will we book? Yeah, how many? We'll book, uh, on average, at a trade show, 15. Okay, how would you like a better strategy that you don't compete with everybody? I'd, I would appreciate that, yeah. You get it. What do you mean, when you, so you wouldn't compete with anybody? Yeah, I'm going to go to a trade show and be one of, of, of 100 or 1,000. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, tell me. What do you got, Jay? I'm going to tell you. So you have the database of everybody. If you aggregated people geographically and you found all the nonprofits within your your size range in Chicago, as an example, you could basically invite them to come to an event for the day that you probably wouldn't cost you a hell of a lot more than going to a trade show, probably less. And now you get 200 and you just do the highest populous cities and you end up 200 people that you're coming to an event, but it also is three or four different demos and you have actual clients in that city there and you just kill it. I, I love that. I, we could call it engagement day. You say, we're going to actually instantly show you how, and we're going to show you how to mitigate the typical issues. You don't have time, not a problem. You don't have the budget, not a problem. I mean, you could even defer billing until they got, uh, I mean, you could do anything that overcomes every inherent risk or resistance. But there's another very interesting concept that I would do instantly because now you've got captive instead of being one of. Jay, would you charge people for that or would you make it a free event? I think the most important thing people don't realize. Or would you buy it for them? I would buy it for them. And the reason is the most important thing you're trying to get is not their money, it's their time and attention, isn't it? Then maybe if you have a prestigious group of clients in that city, you could have as a PS, 
We've invited our, our, our clients, you know, the Red Cross of uh, Chicago and this to come and talk also about some of their experiences and share some of the ways they're getting greater donations and retaining great or whatever. And you make the thing so fascinating that it's a mind blow. I love it, Jay. Yeah. What I want to figure out is who's your ideal client? It seems like you have small clients where you're making almost 0% gross profit margin from the service side of it. Yeah. And then you've got larger clients. And then you rattled off some math before about 9,000. But I want to break that down. How do you know that you shouldn't just target the top 10% of these associations and charge 10x what you're charging and stop going after the small ones where the effort's exactly the same on the implementation side, but the annual contract is a fraction? That's what I'm trying to figure out in my head. What would help me the most, you mentioned a few different associations. You said something about the Air Force or something. Yeah. What's the biggest one that you're working with? I want to be sensitive. So just say ABB, ABC, what's the number of members they have and how much are they paying you? So generally speaking, it's about a dollar per member. Per year? Per month? Per year, yes. Per year. dollar per member. A dollar a year. Yeah, per member. Why so cheap? Well, it, it, it falls in the realm of other marketing automation tools, right? So that's kind of like, that's the bucket I believe we fall into. So if we were to price ourselves higher than HubSpot, that becomes questionable, right? In people's eyes, they see a tool that's designed to connect with their members. And I, I, I think, I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is our rationale, right? So some organizations are paying us more than they would pay a HubSpot or a Salesforce. Others, not so much. So a dollar a year per member. So if it's 100000 We don't have anybody paying $100,000. So at that level, we discount it. So it'll be discounted 50 cents a member or something like that. Yeah, that's fine. All right. So something something like that. So on a 100,000 member organization, it's 50 cents a year. Sure. Yeah. And then for, a, say, a 3,000 or size person organization, it would be, you know, two or three dollars per member per year. Yeah. I'm wondering if you should even do any organizations below a certain amount or, but. Yeah, I, I, I like that direction too. focus on the bigger ones, but there's just not enough to Nick, like there's just not enough of them. You could have a flat yearly fee plus a per member base fee as well, right? It could be For five sure. grand a year, no matter if you have one or a hundred thousand plus some tiered pricing yeah. plus a setup fee. But now how much on average, let's just say it's a whatever, 10,000 member organization. What are the members paying the association? Because at the end of the day, if I'm, if I'm running the association and you're telling me ultimately, you know, like Jay, I've heard talk about, you know, people don't pay for the drill. They pay for the hole to, to, for the frames. And they're not paying you for the engagement. They're not paying you for a click. They're paying you for retention. I'm trying to put my hat on. If I'm an association member... I'm trying to figure out what is that worth to me. So if are they paying a hundred dollars a year to be a member to the association? A thousand a year? The answer is yes. It totally depends on these. Some some associations literally charge like 50 bucks a year. Other associations, especially trade associations, might be charging uh, tens of thousands of dollars a year, if not a hundred, two hundred, three hundred. So so if you're an association charging 10 grand a year. Yeah. A dollar a year is just ridiculously cheap, right? Because even if you get the retention 0.1% up, they're, they're arbing you by like 100x. But if they're charging 50 a year, a $1 a year fee is a huge percentage. Yep. Yep. Right? 
So how do you solve that? I don't know. I think what we're doing is trying to come up with a value of the product in the marketplace, like, you know, nine or 10 grand is the value in the marketplace. And then we back our way into the pricing from there. So I'm going to assume that the vast majority of clients and prospective client companies or organizations, associations, mm-hmm. uh, nonprofits have what I would call either a marketing or a donation or some kind or a member. They've got a team that does that, correct? Yes. yes. They have formulaic allocations, their equivalent of a return on, ad, on spend, right? Or do they not? That I don't know. I have not heard of that. They're not super sophisticated when it comes. Let me ask you this. I would imagine that in the industry, unless it is an anomaly, there are experts who counsel these people, who uh, charge them to either train them, their seminars, they consult with them on acquisition, on on marketing. Uh, There have to be. There have to be. And if there are and you don't know who they are and you're not partnering with them because they already teach them to think in terms of return on spend. So you should have every one of them, large or small, be a marketing partner with you, wouldn't you think? Yeah. So there's some consultants, a lot of mom and pop sort of consultants, one off individuals that used to work for a firm. Now they they went off and started their own thing. There's that. That's a tough little market to get into. Why is it tough? Because most of them probably don't make that much. If somebody who's making two hundred grand, you could make him or her another four hundred grand. And for for using their their relational capital, I can't imagine that that would be that hard to do. Maybe we're not giving them enough incentive to sell for us. Uh, that's interesting. You, so, what are you giving them? We were given ten percent of the first year, so that'd be like nine hundred bucks. Let me tell you an interesting uh, story, and it's true. And, mm-hmm. and this might anybody that watches, listens to this will get. So I have a client. I'm not going to tell you the business they're in, but they're in one of the programs that is expiring. It's a government one. And they're able to average making about $15,000 profit for every client they get. They have made 15 or $20 million in the last year. And they are almost a licensee of a parent company. The parent company does 95% of the work. My client only has to do 5%, which is just prep, validation, then flip it to the parent. And the parent gets the lion's share of the, of the money. But my client makes approximately 15 to 20 grand gross profit per transaction. And they're their embedded imputed cost to do it is no more than $100. So basically $14,900 of gross profit, which is about 90% net profit. Are you with me? Yes. Okay. So they have built their business by giving 10% of their money to refers. They got a lot of onesies, twosies, a couple of, of nice ones. And I said, I could probably get you some of the most influential people that have businesses, but you've got to give them at least 50%. And they said, well, we can't do that. And then I said, okay, let me tell you what you just said. You said, if I could get you somebody you would never have access to before, and they could deliver to you 
a thousand businesses that could be worth literally $1,490 of newfound heretofore unavailable profit that you had to spend $50 or $100 to get. You wouldn't give back $7,000 of the money you didn't have before. Let me tell you one more little story and then you can respond any way you want and ask me your question. True story. Many years ago, I did a consult with two brothers that owned a West Coast business that sold fluid transmission products. Do you know what fluid transmission is? I, I know enough. Yeah. Something yeah, with cars. PVC pipe in manufacturing. It, it transports oh, okay. uh, chemicals and bottling syrup in agriculture water. And they wanted a breakthrough. They, they had no money to do it, and they didn't know anything about their marginal net worth, their lifetime value, any of those things. So I gave them a formula. They went back, and they came back, and I asked them to tell me what their lifetime value was. So the average first-time new buyer was worth $200. I'm just going to talk profit. $200 profit for the first sale. The average new buyer, worst case, it's all worst case, was worth five sales a year at $200. The average new client stayed three years. So every time they get a brand new, worst case, not best new client. It was worth $200 profit, five sales a year, $200, three years, $3,000. I asked them what they were paying their salespeople. It was 10% of profit. And I said, okay, I'm going to make a delusional, Tony Robbins would say hallucinatory projection that you're they're generating very few new clients. And they said, that's true. And I said, it's because basically they see it as being worth 10% of the first sale, $20. I said, why don't you try this strategy. Tell the salespeople that if they keep their current clientele producing at or above par, meaning whatever they average, either monthly, quarterly, seasonally, that you will give them 100% of the first sale of every client they never, I mean, excuse me, they brought in. These two brothers were livid. They said, why in the world would we give 90% of the profit away? And I said, you're not. You are investing. You're not giving anything. You're investing $180 you never would have had for the 90% of the $2,800 you absolutely will get. And that may be of useful reflection for you. It is. It is. the. Uh, I, I really like that perspective. In fact, this is one of several big takeaways. In other words, just pay them more. Show them the money because that's going to motivate you. Just pay them or show them this. I mean, here's what we have to realize. There is a psychological concept called sunk cost reclamation. If you sell somebody, a lot of these consultants, it's a one, it's a one trick pony. They go at an organization or, or even the, the CRM type people, you know, they pop the cork. They, you know, they make a big hit and then it's a nominal or whatever it is. And if it's independent, if it's a big corporation, it's going to be hard to sell. But if it's an independent, you show them you've got the trust, you've got the credibility, you got the direct access to the decision maker, and you have nothing else to sell. We want to reward you for your hard-earned credibility, for gaining their respect, for how hard it must have been to break through the barriers we do. And you use nuances and all these things to get them to appreciate that they more than you need to do this. Why in the world would they want to have invested so much and get only a one-time return on that asset? I mean, it's almost like saying, you know, would you leave your money with an investment advisor or wealth manager if they only got you one year of yield and the rest of it was neutral or diminishing? The one last place 
I'd like to go is back to the comment Nick made about the hole or the drill. You know, we're not, and I've, I've found, I think what we're selling, I tend to think of it like the factory versus the, what the factory makes. So we've been traditionally selling this tool that does all kinds of things, you know, centered around this methodology of conversational engagement. And people kind of look at us like, what? If we could turn around and say what we're selling is growth and retention, or we're selling new member retention or something like that, getting, that's the whole, that's the whole. I'll leave you with this. And maybe if you have one minute to answer these, that would be helpful. Why are you saying that your marketing software that competes with HubSpot when really it seems to me like it's customer success because you're dealing with their customers you're not helping them get new customers. You're helping them to retain customers. Yeah, there, there's there's no such thing as member success software right now. Yeah, but when I hear marketing, I hear, for me, that's a strategy or a tool to help gain something new. Yep. You're not doing that. You're competing much more with Zendesk or a customer service software. So this whole time that we're talking about you being like a MailChimp, it's like, I, it's not... It's not jiving with it's, me. You're, you're not wrong, but we're not a Zendesk and we're not an AMS. Like, but you are much closer to Zendesk than you are to HubSpot. Perhaps, you know, that's, that's why I struggled so much when you said, who are your competitors? I, to be honest, I don't know. It's a very unique product in, a, in, in this space. And, and I don't disagree. You're, you're right. It's, it's hard to say we're a survey tool. It's hard to say we're a marketing tool. Who's the one that's responding to people? Is that your team as per the the service division of your your agreement? Or are they the company association? Are they managing, answering people? Yeah, no, the association then interacts with their members. Yeah, we're not doing that. I see. So when you say that the client success lift part of what you guys are doing, it's not to the end member of the association, it's managing the association? Correct. We're working with the association staff, helping them get this platform up and running. That's right. So, Dave, what if you did something really daring? What if you said, we'll pay you between, you can take a figure, fifty dollars and $500,000 to use our SaaS system. And then you had an asterisk and it was the minimum we're going to give you. And you offered a pro rata uh, refund pro rata to their payment if it failed to achieve a minimum projection you would do as far as your impact analysis? Because that's really what you're doing, isn't it? You're paying them to use your your SaaS system if they apply it properly. So in other words, you say, well, this is, we'll pay you this amount if we don't do what we say we're going to do. Say, hey, here's the deal that we will not only pay, you know, we'll, we'll sit down with you and before you ever commit, we will look at at where you are, we'll look at your current performance. We'll, we'll, we'll overlay what we believe, worst case, we can produce. We'll convert that to some dollar denominated and we'll put in writing that we'll guarantee if you follow through, you got to justify and prove it. Our system in the next 12 months, it has to produce a minimum of this. And if it fails to, we'll return a pro rata of our fee in year one up to 100% or give you credit towards next year, but it's always going to be based on that. And is there any stipulation only that you prove to us you've used it to its full capacity? If you don't, we know it works. We don't know if you'll work it properly. As long as you do, we have no qualm because it, it's infallible. That last part, I love. The, the people that don't succeed are not using it. 
I, I really, really appreciate it. Before you wrap up, I really appreciate your time. I got a lot out of this all the way from, you know, partnership ideas, pricing ideas, guarantees. I love the the uh, idea of going out to D.C. and Chicago is where I'm already thinking and creating our own events, giving away the year one for free, marrying this idea of a demo and a knowledge based webinar, making it kind of this hybrid thing and partnering with the AMS. I, I got about a dozen ideas from our conversation. So I really appreciate your time. That's good. Good. Thank you to everyone at home or on the go for listening. If you find this show helpful, please hit the follow or subscribe button. It does wonders for the show. So more people can find the optimized podcast organically. If you'd like to be on the show, we have an open invite to anyone who wants our challenges solved. If you want to get in the hot seat, you can submit your business right now at theoptimizedpodcast.com. If we think you're a good fit, we'll get you on the show. If you have any questions or recommendation, drop us a comment right here, wherever you're listening to your podcast. We'd love to hear from you. See you on the next episode.